0: Let's go to work. As barbers, we cut hair and fade all day. This podcast goes beyond the barber's chair and is about the rest of our story. Positioning ourselves for success, avoiding costly mistakes, and continuing to grow and thrive as barbers for years to come. Join us as we look at the whole world of barbering and go beyond the barber's chair. Howard Silverman's is all about helping people build and protect their wealth for themselves and for their families, whether helping a young adult put together his wealth building plan or using his rare talent for ferrying out holes in established financial strategies. Howard shows how to avoid losing money to unnecessary fees, interests, and taxes by levering insurance to build wealth as well as protect it. Howard breaks down what we barbers can do to keep the money we make by making sure we don't go broke and lose everything if we are seriously injured. We look at both from the individual barbers and the barber shop owner's standpoint, because losing a key barber in the shop can have some pretty big consequences. In this episode, we talk about what insurance really is and what it does, how to make sure an injury does not create a financial disaster. We also talk about how to make sure that our family doesn't get hit with our debts and can continue living in a good lifestyle if we pass away. Howard talks about the one thing that you need to do to make sure that you don't get stuck with a business partner's spouse becoming your partner. We also talk about making sure that loopholes and policies don't mess you up, as well as barbers insuring our hands. And also talking about some of the unique challenges that building owners and leaseholders face. We go through an awful lot of things here. Uh, Insurance isn't the sexiest topic, but man, there's a whole lot of stuff that can can be talked about. And quite honestly, the more we know, the better decisions we can make. So I'm gonna go straight to the interview from here and let Howard take over. Howard, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate your time. I do wanna just kind of get right to it here.
1: Could you take a quick moment and tell us who
0: you are, how you wound up going into the insurance industry
1: Sure. Absolutely, Dave. And thanks for having me this afternoon. I appreciate it. I've been in the insurance business since fall of 1987, to be precise. I had a finance professor who told me to go into financial planning. And the part of financial planning that I liked the most was actually the insurance side of it. So that's what's kind of stuck with me over the last 35 or so years. I also am kind of a legacy, if you would, in that I have a grandfather whom I never met. My father's father died in 1943, and when he came out of World War I, he went into the insurance business, originally with Metropolitan Life Insurance and then Franklin Life Insurance, And my father used to tell me stories about my grandfather going around to people's homes and collecting nickels, dimes, and quarters for their insurance policies. And I just kind of thought it was cool that he could just go from house to house and play with all these people. Most of us don't really know what
0: insurance is. Can you break down, say, if you had to explain insurance to, say, like a
1: third grader? Do you think this third grader would know what an umbrella is? I would hope so. Excellent. So think of insurance as kind of an umbrella on a rainy day. It's there to provide protection when you need it the most. It's there to keep you dry when it's raining. And sometimes you never know when it's raining. So if you carry that umbrella with you and then all of a sudden it rains, boom, you've got insurance from from getting wet. So kind of like an umbrella shielding us from the rain, insurance policies kind of help protect our finances, our health, our houses, our cars from unforeseen events and accidents. How's that for, you think a third grader can handle that one? I would hope so.
0: So, so uh, by protecting our finances, so, say like something really bad happened, house burns down or something like that. If you have insurance or you know, the right kind of insurance, then the house can get can get rebuilt. And if not, then you're coming out of pocket to pay for it.
1: That's correct.
0: Wow. Okay. I think it's get pretty expensive real quick.
1: Very expensive. Very expensive. And that doesn't even include inflation. Yeah, this is true. So you mentioned
0: it protects our finances and our health. Things happening. I'll talk about a barber over in South Carolina. His, his name is Carlos. He's the main barber in a shop up there. And you know, when I say main barber, I don't mean he's the owner. He doesn't own it. He's like there, he's like the guy that everybody knows is there. People go just to see him. His name is the name that people know about. Sometimes people will bring a friend when to get their hair cut by him. And you know, if Carlos could fit him in, yes, but if not, then he'll you know give him to somebody else. Or uh, sometimes walk-ins just come off the street just from hearing about him as well. So the barbershop benefits by having him there. A couple of months ago, he was in a car wreck. I mean, his car is totaled, but that's, uh, that, that's the least of his real worries because he got injured. He wound up breaking his leg and also his right hand. And he's, he's a right-handed barber. So like in one real quick shot, he's not able to work. And it's not like, hey, he's missing a day or two because he's sick this is later because we stand at work and we need our hands at work and to me this is the nightmare scenario for me as a barber i get in a good car accident and i bust my hand i'm out i'm out of the job out of income out of everything just like that we can't do anything for carlos now i mean it's past there but what can what can we barbers do to protect ourselves from this kind of situation
1: so that's a that's a good question dave and it's actually In listening to you describe the scenario, I would sort of describe it. There's two different ways to go at this that I see. There's probably more than that, but there's two main ways that I see. So let's say we concentrate on just on Carlos for a second. If Carlos gets sick or hurt and he can no longer cut hair, then, you know, he would be considered to be disabled. Right. So. What Carlos could have done before he got sick or hurt is there's insurance out there called disability income, uh, disability protection, DI for short. It's basically income replacement protection. And when you think about it, your income is probably your largest asset. People don't look at it that way, but I would argue that it is. When you think about, you know, let's say Carlos lives in a $300,000 home. Most people would consider that $300,000 home to be Carlos's largest asset. But if Carlos is making $100,000 a year, just to keep the number simple, I don't know if that's too high or too low, but it's easier to track the number. And he works for 20 more years or he could work for 20 more years, but he can't, he would lose out on $2 million worth of income. And if Carlos had in his garage a money-making machine, a printing press that printed out $100 bills up to $2 million, wouldn't you insure that printing press to make sure that nothing happens to it so that that money just keeps coming week after week? month after month. So that's kind of what a disability insurance policy does, is it produces and provides income when you need it the most. Of course, you, you got to do it before you get sick or hurt, not after. If people were to consider their income to be their greatest asset, more so than their home or their uh, retirement plan, then I think more people would, would probably consider that type of coverage. Uh, Typical cost on it is a range of about 1% to 3% of your income. The other thought that I have is, let's say Carlos has a lot of debt, and let's say, heaven forbid, Carlos passed away, you could also buy life insurance on Carlos. He would have to protect, mainly if Carlos has a family, spouse, kids, and there's some debt associated with it. He's got a couple of cars that he owes money on. I mean, I just read somewhere that 17% of all new car loans payments are $1,000 a month. I mean, that's just that just blew me away. Wow. And that's for six years. That's just a long time. So if Carlos passed away and he left that type of debt to his spouse, that could you know, substantially shake the the finances of the family to the core until that car is sold off or they figure out a way to pay it off. But the life insurance, of course, could pay off that car. It could pay off the house and any other debts. Something that I always find interesting about debt is that the people that accumulate it generally, you know, and I've had debt myself, uh, just like I'm an American, just like most of us. And the people that cannot afford to pay off the debt cannot afford to not have life insurance. Because the life insurance is so much less expensive than the debt. And it could leave just such a legacy to the family to pay off all the cars, the house, and li- let the family live a nice lifestyle for a few years or or forever. So the life insurance and the disability insurance is what I would be thinking of from somebody like Carlos's perspective. Now, the, se- the second area, and that was kind of a lot for somebody to digest uh, there, Dave. You know, the worst thing that somebody wants to be uh, trapped in an elevator with is an insurance guy, because <laughs> uh, we, could, we could talk about this type of stuff forever and put somebody to sleep pretty quickly. If I was the owner of that shop, I would be thinking a couple of things. You know, What would happen to me if Carlos got sick or hurt or Carlos passed away? How would that affect my business? I mean, I have rent to pay, or maybe I own the building. I have insurance to pay. I've got licenses to pay. Maybe I belong to a couple of associations. I've got a lot of tax deductible expenses out there that are essentially dependent upon Carlos bringing in income and me taking, you know, a share of that to cover the expenses. So if Carlos gets sick or hurt and he's out, that leaves a really big hole in the business. So there's two things that I can do to protect myself. One is a disability policy on the life of Carlos so that if he gets sick or hurt, it will ultimately pay me, the business owner, Let and
0: yeah, back what I just heard. See if I got that right. You could take a life policy out or a disability policy out on Carlos, someone who has a seat at your shop. So, if I'm a barbershop owner and I've got and I have a Carlos, I could take a policy out on them, and then if they get sick or pass away or whatever, then I would be receiving the money from that to take care of whatever expenses that were needed to be taken care of.
1: That is correct. It's called key person insurance. Okay. And because you have an insurable interest in Carlos's life, then that allows you to be able to apply for coverage. Now, Carlos, of course, has to agree to it because he's going to be the one taking, you know, perhaps the medical exam and signing a couple of documents in addition to you. So he's aware of it. It's not something you can do behind his back. But yes, absolutely. And in fact, if your audience were to be interested in a white paper on something like that, I would be happy to send that to them. So they can just call me or email me and I can get that to them so they can have a little bit more information with, of course, no obligation. But it's a, it's a very important policy. and it's you know, because so many people nowadays are focused on assets under management, How much money do you have in the retirement plan? How much money do you have in the Roth, in the 529? They forget about insurance. But this stuff has been around for hundreds of years. Uh, People have just kind of forgotten about it because the industry has shifted towards assets under management more so than insurance. So you don't get a lot of people talking about the things that I just brought up, the key person coverage. There's even... There's a buy-sell agreement, for instance. I mean, what if, let's say that Carlos was a partner in this business. So you got these two guys who own the business, and one of them dies, and they're married, and now their wife or their partner is now partners in this barbershop, and their wife or their partner know nothing about, cutting hair right or or blending hair or straightening treatments or shaving a beard or or anything like that but now because they're your new business partner they're getting a chunk of the business because you have to pay it out to them because you are still their partner business partner and uh after a while that situation may not be quite as enjoyable because you're working twice as hard for half as much money. So if you had an insurance policy on the life of Carlos, whether it be a, a life insurance policy or a disability policy in the event of his death or disability, it would pay Dave Green X amount of dollars. And then Dave Green can take that money and give it to Carlos's spouse, partner, and buy he or she out of their shares of the business, and now you own 100%. And when you look at the value of the business and the cost of the insurance policy, it's, I mean, you are paying pennies on the dollar for that type of of coverage. I mean, you're paying, I don't know, one or two or 3% the value of that business to be able to transfer it over to you and get that partner out from underneath you.
0: Let's say I've got a a, a barbershop with uh, Frank and me and Frank, we got a barbershop. Frank dies and his wife is now my business partner. This key person policy you're telling me about, that could actually provide me the money to be able to
1: buy her out. That's correct. And that would come in the form of what's called a buy-sell agreement. So it's also something that you and Frank would want to have documented by an attorney in advance. And what you want in that agreement is a way to calculate the value of the business so that you are not arguing with Frank's spouse about the value of the business. The ambiguity surrounding the value would be removed. There's a formula set up that the attorney would set up for you in the event of a death, in the event of a disability, in the event of divorce, in the event of retirement, and so forth, that will then be executable at the uh, uh what's the word that I want to use? If if any of those events should occur, and that removes hmm. a lot of a lot of hassles and a lot of potential uh, lawsuits. Right, and even if it's not a lawsuit, but it's a six-month discussion with all sorts of attorneys, and it costs fifty grand before you finally figure it out for a couple thousand dollars up front that could have all been resolved.
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to go throwing money at attorneys.
1: No, they don't.
0: I want to go back to that uh that first insurance you talked about, the disability income. Can you go
1: into detail about how that actually works? So let's say we're insuring Carlos. And Carlos has a broken uh, right hand, and that's his cutting hand. So Carlos goes out. He's out of work for a few weeks or a few months. And essentially, when you're taking out the disability policy, there's three basic areas that you look at. You look at how long before the policy will pay. So before those monthly payments begin. And that's kind of like your deductible, like a deductible on your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance. You, you pay that first before the insurance company pays their share. Then you look at how long you want the, the benefit to last. Maybe you want the benefit to last two years or five years, or if it's available, depending on the occupation class, even longer. Then the third area that you decide upon is how much of a benefit can you qualify for? So let's say you've got a 90-day waiting period, and that's the deductible. You want the benefit to last for five years, and then we look at Carlos's income, and we take approximately 60% of his income and that's the amount that he would qualify for because you got to keep in mind, he's not living on all of his income because there are federal and state taxes coming out of that. So we're not going to make him better off than he was, but we can make him as well off as he was. And so Carlos qualifies for, let's see, we had him making a hundred thousand a year before when we were putting that money machine in his garage So he would probably qualify for about $5,000 a month or 60%. And then he would collect that each and every month after that 90-day waiting period until the policy ran out, basically. And I'll also throw in, Dave, that since Carlos would be instructed by yours truly, or whoever his insurance agent is, not to take a tax deduction, for that, because Carlos is self-employed, perhaps, and he could deduct anything and everything, and he probably does, if he does not take a tax deduction for that disability insurance policy, then the benefits will be received by Carlos tax-free.
0: If he does not write it off. Correct. Oh, wow. Okay. you know One thing I'm learning is there's a lot more situations where people should not be writing that off. I-
1: there's definitely, uh, there's definitely situations that not everything should be written off. I'll also add that under certain circumstances, it's very possible that if for a little bit more money than the average premium would be, it might be another couple percentage points above what the original quote was. But Carlos might be able to get all of his money back that he's paid into the policy at the age of 65. So if Carlos was 35 years old and his premium was $1,000 a year times 30 years, age 65, that'd be $30,000, he would be able to get all of his money back if he doesn't uh, go out on claim. So oh, wow. if Carlos does go out on claim and he uses a couple months worth of benefit and he uses... I don't know, $12,000 worth of benefit, and then he goes back to work, then that $12,000 would be subtracted from that $30,000, and he would get $18,000 back at the end of that time period. He has to keep the policy in force the entire time, all the way up to age 65 in that example. But if he's one of those that says he's never going to get disabled, it's not going to happen to me, then perhaps that could be a workaround for them and say, yeah, maybe it won't happen to you. But if it does, we've got you covered on this side. And if it doesn't, we're going to get you all your money back. Wow. So Carlos, Carlos has no risk, which is kind of what it's all about. But will it cost a little bit more money? Sure. You know, roughly at least a third, to, between a third and two-thirds of the people that take the policy out are going to get their money back, statistically speaking. We just don't know which person that is.
0: I guess it's a good thing to make sure you have an agent to be able to explain these things to you, because I can just imagine someone trying to shop this stuff online and it would just be a disaster waiting to happen.
1: There are so many little loopholes that, and that's a great point, Dave, there are so many little loopholes that the consumer, as smart and intelligent as they are and well-versed looking at stuff online, Insurance has litany of stuff that you can easily miss if you don't know what you're looking for. Something as simple, yeah, you can buy some term life insurance online, and it's inexpensive. But what happens down the road, if you get sick, you have cancer, let's say, and a heart attack, and you want to keep your policy for a longer time period than the 20-year guarantee only to find out that the conversion agreement that the carrier and you signed when you took out the policy isn't exactly to your liking, because you didn't know what your what to even ask when you took the policy out to begin with. So that's where an agent can help out. Something as simple as that,
0: right? You'll we'll just kind of navigate through the stuff there.
1: It's and it's not going to cost you the insured. Any more money for that? Because we are paid directly by the carriers.
0: Oh, that's cool. So it doesn't cost anything extra to have an agent.
1: Correct. Okay, well, that's that's pretty
0: cool. As we we're talking about this, something kind of jumped to my mind. Uh, you know, we've heard stories about actresses who insure their legs, or you know, someone who insures their vocal cords. It, is is there a, such a thing as someone insuring their hands?
1: Absolutely. Now, that would be, my guess is, I've never done a policy like that. It would probably be, there's, but there is a carrier that does things like that. I would guess that to be a fairly high-priced barber or stylist mm-hmm. that would qualify for that. I think the average stylist or barber would probably be better off starting with a disability policy that covers a lot more risk than just their hand. Mm-hmm. And then once they've maxed out that policy, then they layer on top a secondary policy that would cover their hand only.
0: All right. That makes or, sense. Or
1: maybe they do it simultaneously. Okay. But yeah, athletes cover and actor, Yeah. They, there are definitely different body parts that are covered. Now yeah, just pop my head
0: as we we're talking about it, as you're we going through it here. Um, we talked about the, uh, the disability. We talked about the uh, about the barbershop owner, where they need to have that key person, uh, make sure they got that person covered there as well. Two very hugely, hugely relevant things to uh, the barber industry on terms. So I guess in closing here, I just want to kind of ask you, I mean, so if, if you had someone come into your office and says, hey, I'm a barber, I need to be protected, You know, make, make sure I don't lose my money in case something happens to me. What Advice would you give that barber?
1: I mean, I would tell them to find an agent that has a lot of experience working with business owners and an agent that is well rounded in the life and disability and health insurance marketplaces. I would suggest that they do some research on their own online and come in with some good questions. Also, be prepared to ask, to, to answer a lot of questions, because I'll be, in my world, I ask quite a few questions in order to figure out what it is that they want. You know, I thought of one other thing, too, in terms of protecting themselves. I'm not sure what percentage of barbers own their own buildings. Maybe they own a little house that with a parking lot that people come to. And or maybe they they're in a building, and they've had to personally sign for and take financial responsibility for their office. So if they try to get out of the contract, then that landlord is gonna have first dibs on all their money until that rent is paid for. There's another policy out there that's called a business overhead expense policy. And it'll pay the rent or the mortgage for that barber if they if he or she gets sick or hurt while they're gone. And it will also pay off all of the uh, tax deductible expenses that come into the business, insurance, supplies, some payroll, whatever else there is that's taxed, maybe associations and licensing, accounting fees uh, that's associated with the business and that's tax deductible, it'll pay off those expenses for the barber stylist up to two years. You can kind of look at it this way, Dave. If I could show you a way that would allow you to have a line of credit for up to two years, that during that time, you're going to pay all these expenses. And then at the end of the two years, it's going to stop you can write off the cost of that insurance, write off the cost of that line of credit, and you don't have to pay it back, would that be something that would interest your listeners? And Mm -hmm. my guess is that it, it would definitely interest, certainly some, because there's some that it just won't apply to, but those that own their own buildings and those that have a personal guarantee on that lit le- on that lease would definitely be interested in something like that. And the premiums, the cost on that is, and I know it's all relative, but it's very inexpensive and it's tax deductible. So that would see the other uh, policy that I'd consider if I was, uh, if I had my own shop kind of like that. That's called what kind of policy? That's called a business overhead expense policy policy everything so, with insurance is like alphabet soup and that's just another one right and, and uh it's a hard one and it's not one that a lot of agents are aware of anymore mm-hmm. but it's out there so
0: for example if i own a barbershop and maybe i maybe I own the well, actually let's go with the situations which i'm familiar with where you lease it but there's a personal guarantee Sure. So even if you shut the doors down, you're 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 still liable for the rent. Uh, this this kind of policy would protect you in that case. You know, somebody has yet car accident or something bad happens, and now you're able to get this elephant off your back of not having to pay for all these months of rent that you're not going to be open.
1: That that's a good synopsis. That's exactly what it is. And while you're trying to recover. You don't have to worry about the expense of running that business. And typically when you're out on disability like that, within a year, you're going to know whether you're coming back or not. Mm -hmm. And if you're not coming back and you have that business overhead expense policy in place, it will preserve your business because you can bring somebody else in to cut heads while you're out, and then maybe you can sell it to them. At least maybe you'll be able to get a lump sum for your your book of business. Sure.
0: And you know if you have a barbershop and you have a guy, you have maybe three or four guys renting chairs from you already, and you go down, that replaces a lot of the income and takes care of a lot of the bills that would have been getting taken care of.
1: That's correct. Okay. And it's tax deductible. And you can look at it, like I said, as a tax-deductible loan from the insurance carrier that does not have to be paid back, unlike your typical line of credit that always has to be paid back.
0: Right. I can see just in this little conversation how it's easy to talk for hours about insurance. it's It's amazing just how many ways there are to go with it here.
1: Yeah. Like well, I said, insurance people are the worst people you want to be stuck in an elevator with because we can go on for hours and hours.
0: Very true. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, Howard, what, what's the best way for them to do it? Is there a, an Instagram, a website, email, phone
1: numbers? Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, My web address is www.tier1ga.com. And that's T I E R, the number one in GA for Georgia. So tier one GA.com. My cell phone number is 404 320 1833. Again, that's 404 320 1833. And my email address is Howard. H-O-W-A-R-D at tier1ga.com. T-I-E-R, the number one, ga.com.
0: Awesome. Well, again, Howard, thank you very much for your time on this here. And I would say that if if anyone has any questions about what's been going through here, I mean, you don't expect a quick podcast uh, podcast episode to cover every single thing here. Uh, but I would, I would encourage them to to get in touch, get an agent. Uh, and if you're in Georgia, Atlanta area, you know, talk to Howard. I've got all his information inside the uh, inside the descriptions here. Follow the links. Again, Howard, thank you very much for your time, and uh,
1: hopefully we'll see you again real soon. Well, thanks, Dave, for having me as a guest. And if your listeners have any questions, problems, concerns, have them. Give me a call, or send me an email, or a text, and I'll be happy to help them.
0: That's it for today's episode of Beyond the Barber's Chair. I put links for my guests and for anything we discuss in the description. I hope you got something great and that it helps you as a barber and in life. If you like the podcast, I hope that you will tell a friend about it and subscribe so that you don't miss any upcoming shows. I'll see you next time as we go Beyond the Barber's Chair.